This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by GroCo Postnatal Rehab. GroCo was founded in 2018 by chiropractor Dr. Ali Kane when she was 32 weeks pregnant with her first baby. She wanted to create a rehab program that supported women through the physical, mental, and emotional challenges of motherhood. The GroCo methodology is aimed at preventing, reducing, and resolving symptoms women have been made to think are an inevitable consequence of childbirth. GroCo is offering the Mom Room podcast listeners 30% off their one-time payment to be a GroCo member. Classes stream 24-7, so you're able to do them whenever it works best for you. There's also a weekly live class with a GroCo doctor and also a monthly master class. The goals of GroCo are to be accessible to women, be supportive, but also provide them with a high quality rehab program. Everything is focused on your core and your pelvic floor, which you guys know that I love. Use the link provided in the episode notes to sign up and use the code MOMROOM, M-O-M-R-O-O-M, to get 30% off. Your pelvic floor will thank you. Okay, so today I'm speaking with Jennifer Beal Saxton. She's the founder and CEO of Tot Squad. She started Tot Squad in 2011 while attending the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. She welcomed her daughter into the world in September of 2018, which is exactly when Milo was born. Uh, And she's also expecting her second in March. So Tot Squad's mission is to help make parents' lives easier by connecting them with the experts they need, both virtually and in person. So to start, I thought you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how Tot Squad got started and what it is, if there's anyone listening that doesn't know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Renee. Um, pleased to be here today. Uh, so yeah, I, I started my business long before I was a mom, but was a busy um, 20-something millennial Um, I always joke I'm the oldest millennial because I was born in 82. And I thought this group of individuals is really obsessed with like work-life balance and going to concerts and traveling and like not collecting things like our parents do. And I think as they start to have kids, this issue of work-life balance is really going to balloon. Um, And I like to say I really nailed that. I I think that has definitely played out as we see 90% of babies now being born to millennial moms. Um, And we 
are looking to just have a great life experience. And a lot of times that means outsourcing unpleasant tasks and services and things like that. So um, what we're doing at Tot Squad is helping you find the help that you need. So right now I always see in the mommy groups, people posting like, oh my gosh, my kid never sleeps. I need a sleep consultant. Can anybody recommend one? Or I'm looking for a doula or a midwife or a lactation consultant and, and just posting uh, looking for recommendations. And you get hundreds of comments on these posts. And the problem is, like, especially for me, when I first had my daughter, I'm looking around like, I don't know what the difference is between a sleep consultant who does the cry it out method versus somebody who does the gentle sleep training method. How do I know what the difference is between a sleep consultant that charges you $300 and somebody who wants $3,000? Like, why is it so hard to figure out who to use? So what we've built at Tot Squad is a technology platform um, that lets you use your social um, network, like you can log in with Facebook and see which providers your friends have used or people who you're in mom groups with or people from your church or your country club or whatever. Um, And then you can compare prices and specialties and philosophies and all of those things. So it just really brings a lot of transparency and trust to the process of finding and booking different kinds of providers that you need. Um, right now, very much focused on kind of health, wellness, and safety-related services for uh, prenatal and postpartum moms. Of course, yeah. And so the people that would be considered the providers um, on Tot Squad, do they have to agree? Like, are they in contact with you in any way, or is it just? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not just the directory. All the people have been fully vetted by us. Um, you know, we interview every provider to make sure they have a great customer service philosophy, um, and we vet and verify their credentials. So uh, everybody who's on our platform has some sort of outside certification um, or specialty within their field of expertise. Okay, and just. If you were just to like name off some of the kinds of uh, providers that you would have. So like you mentioned uh, doulas or I know you do stuff with the car seat. Yeah. So, well, doulas aren't live yet. They're coming next. But um, the services we have right now, uh, which you can book directly on totsquad.com or you can also buy on walmart.com. Um, are car seat experts. Um, if you need help with a seat check, whether it's in person or over video chat, uh, we have a lot of parents who video chat us from the hospital parking lot when baby arrived earlier than expected. And they're like, oh my gosh, how do I leave the hospital with this newborn? Uh, so we do car seat safety. Uh, we do lactation consulting. We have infant um, feeding experts. So really nutritionists that can help you, whether it's with your personal nutrition for prenatal or breastfeeding concerns, or whether it's introducing a bottle, introducing a formula, introducing solids, picky eating, any sort of um, eating and feeding concerns, um, and sleep consultants. Uh, and then we'll be launching in the next few weeks uh, maternal health, maternal mental health oh, nice. experts. So anybody who might be yeah, uh, suffering from postpartum anxiety or depression and looking for a specialist in that field will be able to... Um, find those providers oh, on our platform. Nice. As and well. so do people to use Tot Squad is it like a subscription or is it just like you can go in and do a one-time thing or how does that work? Yeah, only one time. Um I mean we certainly hope that you're going to love the experience of finding your provider and want to come back and and use us again. Um but yeah, I I think we definitely have clients who come in while they're pregnant uh, to get help with the car seat and then they're coming back a few months later when the baby is born for lactation help and a few months after that need sleep help. Um, And we have about 60 different service categories on our roadmap. So expect to be launching things like 
the doulas and midwife services, um, baby proofing, just there's so many more service categories where I see people looking for help finding providers. Yeah, baby proofing, that would be nice. Like just have someone yes. come into the house and like just baby proof the whole house. <laughs> Totally. I started right as a pandemic started. I was doing personally a bunch of virtual um, home safety assessments, we called them, um, to just help people who were suddenly working from home while trying to watch their toddler, which is um, not for the faint of heart, I think, as many of us have learned um, during this really challenging year. And, And just, you know, safety hazards that maybe were not an issue when you were able to give your toddler undivided attention. But when you're hoping that they can entertain themselves, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, things that you have to watch out for. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about some of those. Yes, exactly. So that's actually the first category. So we're what Jen and I are going to do for this episode is go over different categories of safety. Um, She's going to give us some tips. She's going to give us her favorite products and then tell us about things that we may not think about. Um, So first up is home safety. So baby gates, locks, uh, the stairs, things like that. So what, what are the tips that come to mind that you would share with parents when it comes to home safety? Yeah. I mean, my first tip would be try to do this while you're pregnant, please. (laughs) Once once the baby comes, um, a lot of people are like, Oh, it'll be six months before they're crawling or it'll be a year before they're walking. Like, Oh my gosh, you, you don't realize in advance how sleep deprived you're going to be and how busy you're going to be, even though those kids do sleep a lot and they don't move quite yet. Um, if you have time while you have that nesting instinct to start doing your baby proofing, I recommend starting early um, and, and it will save yourself a lot of headaches. Although I, my daughter just turned two um, and we're in finding we need more baby proofing. Like we discover new things that need proofing yes. every day. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a fridge lock. She now knows how to open <laughs> the refrigerator and the freezer. And then of course leaves them wide open. Yep. Um, so, the, you know, there are some things like that that are super easy to add on later when you need them, because I would have been really annoyed if I spent the last two years trying to like unlock my fridge every time I needed to use it. <laughs> um, but in general, for things that re- are going to require installation, like pool fences, baby gates on the stairs, um, especially if you're somebody who like really takes a lot of pride in home decor. Um, and I know there it's like probably 50, 50 out there. Like the moms were like, just put up the ugly gate, <laughs> just yeah. block it. I don't care. And, and 50% of people who are like calling their interior decorator, trying to make sure that the baby gate matches the banisters <laughs> on the stairs. So, um, but so, yeah, so I think the, the first thing I would say is to really do an assessment, like do a full walkthrough of your house and make a checklist. Like you can print off lots of little checklists about things to baby proof around your home. Um, but make a concerted effort of it, plan an hour, do it with your spouse, um, and walk around the house. And then you can just kind of do one big bulk order and one big bulk day of baby proofing. Um, and, and then it feels less painful than trying to do it, um, all, all a cart. Uh, the ones that are super important are cabinet locks, for anything where you might have chemicals or medications um, or, or sharp objects, um, make sure your knife block is out of reach, things like that. Um, the cabinet locks, can't. there's a lot of different types and kinds, and we had to experiment with a few before we decided which kind we really liked. We decided on the ones that you use a magnet. Um, okay, yeah. And so, yeah, it's totally hidden. You can't see it from the outside of the cabinet. 
Um, but you have to also make sure you don't lose the little magnetic. Yeah, that's me. My, my me texting my husband at work, like, cause he told me, he was like, I know you're going to lose this. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then he comes <laughs> home one day and he's like, where's the magnet? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I might've left it in the cover. <laughs> and then he oh my me. God, it's locked inside. <laughs> yeah, but He's smart. He's so smart. He, he hid an extra one. So he knew. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, we had an incident with our little magnet key where the nanny had been cleaning the oven for us. I mean, how nice of her. I never asked her to, but, um, my husband went to cook something and he's like, it smells really bad. And he pulled out the, the rack and at the very back of it, in the back of the oven, that little magnetic key had gotten stuck to it. Oh it no. In the oven, like the pizzas were inedible because there's like <laughs> melted plastic, toxic fumes. <laughs> I don't even know, but the magnet was unusable after that. So I think we've all destroyed one, but, but yeah, so we use a lot of those. Um, and, and then, yeah, just really making sure about stairs, uh, especially if you're using baby walkers. Um, there's been a lot of kind of safety alerts about those in the recent past. Um, and these are kind of like the little things that your pre-walking child can scooch around in. Um, but if they fall down the stairs can be really, really, really dangerous. So yeah, those are, um, uh, they don't sell those in Canada anymore. Oh, they're just like completely banned. So yeah. Um, yeah, they're still available here and we see a lot of people using them. So oh, and, and like okay. our problem is we have a sunken living room with like two stairs down and a really wide opening. So okay. I had to spend a lot of time trying to find stair blockers that would um, that would reach. Um, and we ended up using something from a company called the Stair Barrier, um, which it almost is like a fabric you can choose from a lot of different beautiful designs. And it like rolls up off to the side when you're not using it. Um, okay. But my other personal favorite are retractable stair gates. Uh, so our problem, or I don't know, I wouldn't say problem, is just like, you know, when the baby's asleep, you don't want to have to like unlock and open the gate every single time to go in yeah. and out. Um, and so these retractable ones, you can pull them closed when the baby is up and you can leave them open when the baby is asleep, um, which we really like. They can be a bit more expensive, more like in the 100 to $200 range. Um, for those gates versus some of the less expensive ones you can get for like 40, 50 bucks. Right. Yeah. We have, uh, gates. We have the ones that are pressure mounted. And so you have to open them and close them to go through. Um, Mm -hmm. they work for us, but I can see where like the roll away one would be nice because we have dogs as well. So the gates are always up anyways. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, which, my problem with the pressure mounted one is I always trip over it. Oh. It's like, oh, it's a little bar at the bottom. Yeah. I'm just so clumsy. Definitely have um, stubbed my toe fine. a few times. Yeah, you don't have to necessarily um, mount anything to your wall, though, which is nice. So if you have an area where it would be really, you know, bad, um, it, you know, th- those can work really well. But I'm uh, right now we're using the one from Laskell. It's um, Kitty Guard is our retractable um Stairgate, and we love it. It's almost got like a little timer on it so that you can do it with one hand. Oh, nice. So if you're carrying the baby, you can kind of like hit the unlock, unzip the thing, and walk through without having to like use two hands to open and close the gate. Nice. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein, I'm looking at sugar content, and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. 
Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. Biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the Biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. And what about, so you know the things that go on door handles because eventually in the next few months or whenever we're going to be putting- No, no, we're, we've already got one of those. <laughs> what, the door, like the things for the- yeah, my husband's office is a death trap. And I was like, oh my gosh, my daughter is super, super tall. My husband's six four. So she she is the size of a four-year-old, even though she's only two. So she's been opening doors for a while now. And I was like, if you're not able to baby proof this room, which I just just determined was never going to be possible, um, we have to put one of these locks on the door. And it's not really a lock. Like it basically is just tricky for a small child to figure out how to use, but an adult can use it just fine. Okay. And it just like goes over the doorknob? 
It just goes over the doorknob, yeah, and then you kind of have to like squeeze your fingers between the little openings to to twist in the right. Right, place. and is your daughter um, is is she in like a a bed or a crib still? So because she is so tall, we had to move her to the toddler bed at eighteen months. Oh wow! Because she was flipping head first out of her crib. She's so tall. I mean, she, she would stand up on the crib and it would be like over her belly button or, you know what I yeah. mean? She's just like so tall or her belly button was over the crib rather. Um, and we tried the hack where you can put the crib mattress all the way on the floor, but there was a gap in our crib. So it would just slide out. So we didn't really have any option, but thankfully she is not, she still stays in it. Like she might get up and pick up a toy or something, but she'll get back in bed. She doesn't leave the room yet. So knock on one. Okay. I am so jealous of the families who were able to keep their like three and three and a half year olds in a full crib. Um, it must be very nice, but, uh, yeah, for, for those of you who have tall kids, once your kid knows how to escape the crib and is, is at risk of flopping head first out, like you have to remember their head is the heaviest part of their body. Mm -hmm. And so like, if they, if they can stand up over that edge, it's, uh, it's time. It's time to. Yeah. I never thought of them escaping in that way. I always thought about Milo trying to climb up. So in the sleep sack, it's hard for him to do that, but I never thought about like the, just like flopping over. Yeah. (laughs) We, we were using the sleep sacks for a long time and then she figured out how to escape those. Yeah. And now that it's winter, we're like trying to get her back into a sleep sack because she can't figure out how to use a blanket. Um, you know, and I think that was also another nerve wracking thing. And we might come back and talk more about safe sleep later. But, you know, it was like, when is it safe to bring a blanket in and yeah. get out of the sleep sack and all of that? So, uh, you know, in the summer months, it didn't really matter. But now it, we got to figure out a solution. <laughs> okay, so next up is travel safety. So strollers, carriers, travel cribs, bassinets, all that expensive stuff. <laughs> um, so what what are some some things that maybe people don't think about or tips that you would have for those? Yeah, well, I'll try not to veer too much into car seat safety because I know we're going to talk about that separately, but um, I definitely recommend avoiding checking your car seat um, through airlines just because they can get damaged. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're able to actually bring your car seat on the airplane um, so that your child has a seat, they will ride safer. Um, But you do have to make sure your seat is, you know, airplane compatible. Uh, But one of my favorite things is actually just renting baby gear at your destination. Um, We work with a company called BabyQuip. They have, I think, 600 local moms, mostly all over uh, the United States, Canada, where you can rent baby gear at your destination. So um, and all of their gear is safely cleaned, sanitized, um, free of recalls and defects. And that can also um, save you a lot of hassle and back pain, lugging crap through the airport, um, you know, for the future time when we can all travel more. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I think we've all kind of gotten to our destination and realized that something we were relying on from the hotel or whatever is not going to work for us. A perfect example, like we went to an Airbnb um, during COVID and tried to use a pack and play, not realizing, oh my gosh, like my daughter is over the height limit and the weight limit for this pack and play or whatever, you know? And so I think sometimes we aren't specific enough in asking about the equipment that's going to be available for us at our destination. So just making sure that you really thoughtfully plan ahead. Um, Sometimes grandparents might have an extra of something still at their house, but it's been sitting in the garage for 20 years or you never know, (laughs) right? So uh, make sure that if you're relying on gear at your destination uh, that you are doing 
doing so in a more detailed fashion. But um, yeah, so you were asking baby carriers. What am I forgetting? They're uh, strollers. Strollers. Um, I have a lot to say about strollers. (laughs) in 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 my past life before Tot Squad started offering um, all of these different services, we were really, we started as a baby gear cleaning service where we were doing stroller and car seat cleaning and repairs. Um, so by the time I finally had my daughter eight years into uh, Tot Squad, I received over 40 strollers. Oh, wow. <laughs> all of these different brands. I'm like a professional stroller tester and expert <laughs> now. I get to like go on TV and talk about strollers. Um, so You know, I sometimes see some really terrifying stroller hacks um, where people are trying to like mount a convertible car seat onto their stroller using bungee cords. Oh my God. So that they can get them through the airport. And there's like, you know, uh, this Facebook group, like Girls in Tra- Girls Love Travel or, or Club Bebe Voyage, I think, where they, you know, share all these travel hacks. But from a safety perspective, I just have to like bury my head in my hands because I'm like, please do not stroll anywhere with a car seat bungee corded onto your stroller um, for so many reasons. Um, but you also do have to be careful with your stroller about tipping hazards. Um, we see a lot of people buying these like mommy hooks um, oh, where yeah. you kind of hang heavy bags or grocery bags or luggage or whatever it might be off the back of your stroller. Not only does that put you at high risk for breaking your stroller um, and then having to buy a new one because you've kind of unevenly distributed the weight, not in the way that it was intended. Um, it's just a huge safety risk for your child to flip out of the stroller. I had an incident once. Um, I was using the Duna, um, which is a car seat and stroller combo. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy if you've never seen one, but basically a car seat with like wheels that fold up into it. And thank God I was using it as a car seat because my daughter was fully harnessed in, strapped in really tightly. And I pulled her out of the car and I was using it as a stroller mode, going down this hill into a doctor's appointment in like a big parking garage. And, you know, you're kind of like going down a hill with a stroller. You pick up some speed because it's heavy and it's pulling you forward. And we hit a grate at the bottom of that little hill and the stroller flipped on its back, skidded across the concrete. I flew and landed on top of it. I had like the hugest bruises all over my legs where like the wheels had jammed into me. And my daughter didn't even cry. Like oh she was so safely strapped into that thing because we'd been using it as a car seat um, that she was totally safe. But what scares me is when you see people with their kids in the stroller, not strapped in yeah. or strapped in really loosely. Um, because you just never know when you're going to hit that bump in the sidewalk or, or, you know, whatever, like all sorts of accidents can happen. And if your kid flies out of that stroller, um, it can be really dangerous. Yeah. Something, I don't know why this made me just, just think of that story made me think of this. So my friend, um, her husband took their little boy grocery shopping and he is like three years old, I think. And he was sitting in the cart you know, in the parking lot, they, they were going back to the car and a woman backed out of her parking spot and smashed into the cart. And like, just like by chance, her husband was holding onto the cart really tightly. So he was able to like, keep it from knocking over. But can you imagine 
Oh my gosh, so scary because they sit up pretty high. Yes. I mean, you know, you also see people misusing their car seat in the shopping cart. Like they're not, never do that. Please never set a a car seat on top of a table, on top of a shopping cart. Um, The few times when I felt like I did need to like go to Costco with the baby in the car seat, I literally took up the big basket part of the shopping cart to put the car seat in there. And then like, yeah, you put it all the way in. Yeah. All the way in. Don't try to balance them on that top little skinny part. Um, That's just absolutely terrifying. So, yeah. Um, Do you have any favorite strollers or travel cribs that you would recommend? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, I would say, uh, you know, everybody loves the Baby Zen Yo-Yo as a super compact travel stroller. That's what um, we have. I also, yeah, I also use the Good Baby Pocket, which is um, a great alternative. And then I'm a big fan of the Upper Baby Minu, um, okay. as well as the Ergo Baby Metro. So I think all four of those strollers, like they fold so compactly Um, you can fit them in overhead bins and they don't take up a ton of trunk space when you're trying to travel. Um, so those are probably some of my favorite travel ones. And now I'm just getting into the double strollers as we're preparing for baby two. So I think I've got four or five that have already been shipped to me. So we've been experimenting. We're loving the wagons. Um, I think that, that those can be really fun. Um, although you obviously have to wait for your second kid to be over six months old before they can like really sit up in something like that. Um, but, but I think wagons can make it more, I don't know, my, my daughter is, she doesn't like to be contained right. <laughs> in anymore. So the wagon makes her feel like I think she has a little bit more autonomy, yeah. um, but, but also not super practical for travel if you're going on an airplane, but like great for road trips um, if you're just traveling locally. Yeah. The thing that I couldn't believe when it came to strollers was that we spent so much money on, you know, a really good stroller that had the the toddler seat but also had the infant car seat that attached into it and then he barely like once he was outgrew hid that infant car seat we didn't use it anymore because it was so big and clunky and then we switched over to the yo-yo yeah and I was like like you spend so much money on it and then we hardly used it yeah, I think as I'm looking at my double strollers, like I said, we're really loving. We have the Wonderfold wagon, which is a great one. It's got a full canopy and everything. But I'm thinking for more day-to-day use, if you get one of the strollers that has the expandable capacity, where you can either use it as a single or a double, um, is a is a great alternative. Uh, we just got the Upper Baby Vista V2, um, which I have a feeling I'll mostly use as a single stroller with the ride-along board for my older child versus times when I'll have to put both seats on it. Um, but you know, we'll see. I, I, I have a lot to learn. I'm sure after the baby ride, I've also got a side-by-side bumble ride, um, the Indy twin, which is super popular. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of good choices out there. I, I just encourage families, even though it's a pandemic, if you can strollers, like the one purchase you really want to test out in person. Like I said, my husband is really tall. So we discovered there are a lot of stroller brands where like the handlebar is not adjustable enough for him to be able to push it without like kicking the back of the stroller constantly. Um, Cause his weight is just too, you know, long, I guess. <laughs> uh, there's a lot there. Um, I forgot to talk about travel cribs, but at a high level um, there's a lot of great choices. People love the Lotus uh, and we've got the baby Bjorn. Uh, Microlite makes a great portable one. And even Juvie has one called the glue. Um, it's like a little igloo thing, um, which we would use for like naps and things in the park, but totally can serve as a little contained baby bed. 
Um, so yeah, there's, there's so many good options out there. I don't, there's nothing that I particularly hate in that group of products. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Moving on to probably the most stressful, uh, category, which is car seats. <sighs> I don't like, I don't know. It's stressful because once your child starts to get a little bit older, mm-hmm. although I, I should say like, even from newborn days, car seats just stressed me out because he was so tiny and like to strap him into these, like at the time the straps were huge, right? Cause he was so small and I was just like, Oh, like I hated it. So, and then they start moving and then, you know, they're fussing if you're trying to get them in and you're always worried, like and just hate the car seat. <laughs> yes. And like you, then you worry, like, are the straps right? Like I'm always concerned. My husband's not like doing it tight enough and like, Oh, Make sure that when you're selecting a car seat, um, that you are choosing one that fits your vehicle, fits your child, and that you can use correctly every single time. Um, So, you know, that means making sure that you've got something that's the appropriate height and weight limit um, and kind of directional facing for your child, etc. I've definitely seen toddlers coming in that are still trying to squeeze into infant seats that they've far outgrown. So just making sure that you're reading the, you know, the labels on these products, like they are highly regulated for a reason. Studies have shown something as many as 95% of parents leaving the hospital in Washington state had a misuse in their car seat, whether in how they installed it or how they put their baby in. So um, make sure you're taking the time to like really read everything, watch the videos on YouTube if you need to. Um, or obviously you can come to talk squad and we'll do a virtual seat check with you. Um, if that will help get you peace of mind, yeah. but probably one of the most common errors that I see is parents that adjust that harness. Like you were saying, it causes a lot of anxiety, the harness, um, is it snug enough? Is it too snug? Like is my, is it twisted? Like what's happening here? Um, and parents will adjust that so that it gets to a point where they're like, okay, I've got it at just the right level for my kid. So I'm not going to loosen or tighten it. Like nobody mess with it. It's just the right amount. And then what happens is like, if you can get your child in and out of the car seat without having to loosen it, it was too loose while they were riding. Yeah. Right. If those, if those um, harness straps can slide off their shoulders in an accident, your baby could be ejected from the car. So you should have to loosen and tighten the harness, which is usually like a little button between the baby's legs um, that you push in order to be able to loosen it. But you should have to loosen and tighten it every single time you take the baby in or out of the car um, and and make sure it's, you know, snug up against their skin so that so that you can't like pinch any of the loose harness material, um, but not so snug that you're like leaving marks in their neck or something. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that stresses me out, too. I I. I always try and like pull his t-shirt up like so that the straps aren't right against his neck. Um, the the one... Some brands have those little pads that'll protect... Right yes. Now. Our one car seat has the little pads. And then I was reading something that you should never add things to the car seat if it didn't come with it. Like initially. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah, we call those aftermarket products. So yes. you never, ever, ever want to use an aftermarket product on or, or with a car seat because it can impact the way it performs in a crash. And, you know, God forbid something did happen and your baby was injured and you wanted to sue the manufacturer. They're going to say, oh, well, you were using this like stuffed, you know, teddy bear attached to the handle or, you know, whatever you were doing. Yeah. Um, and, and you've invalidated the way the car seat was designed to work. So we're not responsible. Yeah. So I, I absolutely recommend if you're going to purchase anything like that, make sure you just purchase it from the same brand as, as the brand of the car seat that you have. 
Um, but I think that reminded me while we're heading into winter here, just to talk a little bit about winter coat safety. Mm-hmm. For seeds. Um, so I think we actually had somebody who submitted a question in advance about, um, it's so cold. Are you sure it's not okay for just a, a short 20 minute car ride to leave the jacket on? Um, and the answer is very much what I just said about those harness straps. If you actually can, can harness your child with their, their, you know, thick jacket or poofy vest or whatever on, um, and then take your baby out, put them back in without loosening or tightening it. You will see how loose those harness straps really are. Yeah. Um, because yeah. all of that soft fabric is totally compressible. So in an accident, when, you know, the, the jacket gets compressed, those straps are actually really loose and the child can be ejected from the car. So, um, I, I don't remember what the statistic is, but it's something like the large majority of accidents happen within one mile of your home. Mm. Um, so even it's those short car rides where I think people get overly, um, I don't want to say lazy, but, like but just more relaxed. Yeah. And, and maybe not as strict about the rules, but that's actually one of the highest risk zones, um, it, for having a collision. So, um, definitely the, the best way to do with kind of like the cold car seat issue is to wear your jacket like a blanket. So put the kid in the car, put the harness up against just their regular onesie or, you know, shirt and pants combo, and then put the jacket on where you can like put your arms through the armholes, but the back of the jacket is over the top of the harness, more like a blanket. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. In Canada, it's so helpful to have a car starter because, you know, like 20 minutes before Milo and I get in the car in the morning, I can start the car from inside the house. And so it's warm by the time we get out there. Like that is so helpful. <laughs> Yeah, that makes a big difference. Warm up the car before you get in there as well. But but yeah, definitely no large bulky jackets in the car seat. That's a that's a big no-no. Um, and then when it comes to installing the car seat itself, um, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies. Like I said, it's very easy to screw this up. Um, get professional help if you can. Um, but make sure that the car seat is installed tightly enough that it doesn't move more than one inch in any direction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another a common misuse is just the car seat is installed too loosely or they haven't properly used the top tether um, when they've got the car seat forward facing. Um, and that's such a key component that keeps the child's head from you know flying forward in an accident. Um, there's there's so many factors on the car seat that I just really recommend people get professional help when they can. Yeah, totally. I Full disclosure, when Milo was a newborn, we didn't get like, you know, a virtual or in-person, you know, to make sure that we were putting him in properly and everything. And I probably found out maybe like a month or so after he was born, I was strapping him in the car seat completely wrong. Like I was putting (laughs) his legs above the straps instead of like underneath. Yeah, like crazy. And I... I had no even like I had no idea that I was doing something wrong. I I like it didn't even dawn on me until my friend was like, "What are you doing?" Oh my gosh! Yeah. I mean, I think we've all had those moments, right? So I I am very cautious to never mom shame anybody. Yeah. I literally have been certified as a child passenger safety technician since two thousand nine. When my daughter was born nine years later, I had to have a C section. You know, we're leaving the hospital with the baby in the car seat. I knew I was going to like document the whole first ride home from the hospital just for social media. And because it was a big moment, I didn't use the car seat correctly no. on my trip home from the hospital. I didn't adjust. I didn't realize that the headrest was not in the newborn position 
when the car, we might've used the car seat for a photo shoot or something prior to when my daughter was born. So I think in general, when you take them out of the box, they're set up to be newborn settings, but I did not realize that mine had been adjusted. And so I was like, I can't use any of these photos or videos, or I am going to be shamed (laughs) by the entire car seat community for improperly using the car seat on my own ride home from the hospital. So, you know, we've all been there. That's so funny. And it's funny when you say social media, because that's how I feel even now. If I take a picture or like a video and Milo's in his car seat, I always like second guess myself to put it up because I'm like, people are going to say something, but, but then I always end up posting it because I'm like, well, if somebody does notice that something's off and they tell me, then fine, that's good actually. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't be afraid of it, but it is. I always think like, oh, am I doing something wrong? Like before I post (laughs) this. I I, I like to think of it. I I don't know if this is a thing in Canada, but here we have the campaign. Like if you see something, say something, which is like terrorist prevention type of, of campaign. But I think of car seats that way. Um, I have I have a friend from business school who just had a baby last month and I saw she posted a picture in the car seat and the chest clip was like way down low yeah. on the baby's tummy instead of up at the armpit level. And so I just sent her a polite message and I said, you know, I have this policy of if I see something, say something. I don't even know if your baby is riding in the car or if this photo in the infant seat is outside of the car, but just as a heads up, let me know if you want any help with your car seat. I think, you know, you might not be using it correctly. She's like, oh, thank you. You're not even the first person to say something. So, you know, some people will take it in stride and other people are like deeply embarrassed and will never speak to you again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all about, it's all about the delivery, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, private message not commenting on their public post is definitely yeah. the recommended strategy for that. Oh, that's funny. Um, so is there anything else for car seats? that? We, let's talk a little bit about rear facing and forward facing because I know that's a huge uh, question that people have. So um, I, being a car seat safety advocate, um, have always imagined that my daughter was going to be uh, what we call like extended rear facing until she's four or five years old, which is what they do in like Sweden. Um, yeah. The kids all ride rear facing until they're four or five. And, you know, I have the best car seats out there that will you can ride rear facing until you're 50 pounds, um, just like made for really big kids. But my, like I said, my daughter is so tall. Um, she really is the size of a four-year-old and we could not get her in and out of the rear facing car seat. We were like cracking her head on the side of the car every time yeah. we were trying to squeeze her in there. So after she turned two, we did end up moving her forward facing. It also stopped a lot of the barfing that we were dealing with, um, in terms oh, of no. car sickness. So that was a, a, another positive. So the official recommendations for people who have, you know, average size children, unlike my monster daughter, um, <laughs> is, um, at least the American Academy of Pediatricians recommends that children stay rear facing until at least age two or when they outgrow the height and weight limit on their car seat. Um, and so it used to be age one. And I think there's a lot of families that are still kind of trying to turn their kid around between age one and two. Um, and some states have really, um, loose laws, I would say around this, maybe the laws haven't caught up with the pediatric recommendations. Um, but I absolutely recommend that everybody stays rear facing until age two or as long as possible until you're like me. And you're like the risk of my child's head injury when I'm trying to put her in the car (laughs) is, is, is also high. Um, you know, I, I think it's definitely safer to stay rear facing as long as possible. You have to remember with car seats that every step up, 
Um, every time you move from the infant seat to the convertible seat to the forward facing seat to the booster seat with the high back, and then you remove the back and then eventually into the seatbelt, you're actually losing a layer of safety at every single one of those steps, right. right? When you look at race car drivers, they are using like five point harness things. Shoot, if they could drive backwards, riding rear facing, they would because it's safer. So, yeah. um, so just, you know, don't rush. It's not a milestone. It's not something you're like racing to hit. Um, it's actually like, I think a, a moment of pride. If you've still got your five-year-old sitting rear facing, like you should be proud of being that mom. Yeah, totally. I always like when I was learning, like doing research about rear facing, I got so angry because I was like, well, why aren't all passenger seats in a freaking car rear facing if it's so much safer? Right? Like, why are we even facing forward? And why don't we all have the five point harness? And like, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's I remember like a- being a five-year-old in the front seat of my dad's car wearing the yep. adult seat belt, and we were T-boned on my side of the car. And thank God I was okay. But I just I can't even <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting to see 10 or 20 years from now what the safety laws are and what the you know innovations and designs are to keep people safer in cars because it is such a leading cause of death, um, is you know, car accidents. So um, yeah. But that also reminds me, since I'm pregnant, should we talk a little bit about riding in the car while you're pregnant? Yes, that was a question. Yeah, I um, I can totally relate to the mamas who've got the big bump and they're trying to figure out how to like fit the steering wheel and the seatbelt and like make <laughs> it all work um, in that last trimester. So my first advice would be just take advantage of your um, your pregnant state and ask your spouse or someone else to drive whenever you can um, to keep that distance between your bump and the steering wheel. Um, you know, the airbags going off all of that, it's just an added point of potential impact, um, for you and your unborn child. So if you can ride in the passenger seat or the back seat where it's safer, like always take that option when it is available. Um, but if you're commuting up until the day you go into labor and, and you've got to be driving, um, we talked a little bit about aftermarket products for car seats, the same applies for, um, like seatbelt adapters and other sorts of like gizmos that you'll find. I did this whole segment on CBS on a show called The Doctors about these like pregnancy seatbelt adapters that kind of like help pull it down below your bump. Um, please don't use those. They're, they, they really wow. could impact the way that the seatbelt functions um, in the car. So if you really are having trouble fitting, lean your seat back a little bit farther, um, scooch it back farther from the, um, steering wheel. And then you want to position the bottom of the seatbelt over the top of your hips, right? So it really should be kind of going across the top of your thighs. You never want it going over the top of your bump. Um, and then, and then if you have to adjust the height, most cars, um, on your left side, when you're the driver, kind of where the, the shoulder part of the harness comes out of the vehicle, you can slide that thing up and down. So if you have to adjust it to get a better fit, you don't want to be reclined so far back that there's like, you know, six or 12 inches of space between your shoulder and the seatbelt. <laughs> um, again, you want that to be as snug up against you because uh, otherwise you're going to move more if you're in an accident, right? Yeah. You're going to flail around and potentially be ejected. So um, make sure you've got the, the seatbelt properly fit to your body, but don't use any aftermarket products. Awesome. Um, okay. So next is sleep safety, which is also something that people always wonder about and, you know, wonder about the guidelines and what would work for their kids. And should I do this? Should I do that? So sleep sacks, 
But the big thing is the pillows and the bedding in the cribs, especially when they're infants, you know, having like a stuffed animal. Um, Yeah, I know some people put like those bumpers around uh, the crib. Like there's just so many things. And again, it's frustrating because, you know, you hear guidelines that you shouldn't have the bumpers, but then they sell them in a store. And it's like, well, you know, which is it? If they, if they're not if they're not appropriate, then don't sell them. Um, right in in the United States, they're actually illegal in some states, but not others. So, like all of the retailers have to have special modules to uh, make sure that they're not shipping to the wrong state. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely avoid crib bumpers, drop side cribs. Like you know, I don't recommend vintage cribs. The the laws and regulations around crib safety have definitely changed since you were born. If your mom is trying to like pull stuff out of the attic. <laughs> <laughs> So um, make sure you're getting the appropriate sleep gear. But, uh, you know, I think safe sleep is such a controversial topic um, that it's like always terrifying to go on a podcast like this or something and and say something because you just never know um, who's going to get offended or or what's going to happen. But I think... Generally, I recommend following the the safe sleep guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatricians. And in those early days with your child, making sure that they have a separate sleep surface Mm -hmm. um, that is in the same room as you. Um, And this is really about SIDS prevention, right? You want to make sure the baby doesn't stop breathing in the night. Um, And uh, I used the snoo last time um, for my first daughter. And this time I'm really excited. I'm going to be using the Halo bassinet. Oh, that's what we had. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm because I'm having a repeat C-section, it's so hard to get in and out of the bed. Um, And that Halo bassinet can basically, you know, it's on a stand on the floor, but it leans over the bed. So, you know, if you have to nurse all night in the middle of the night, you can just reach over and grab the baby, but know that they're in the safe, separate area where you can get them without worrying about rolling over onto them. Um, For those families, you know, I know there's a lot of of attachment parenting advocates who really want to co-sleep with their child. Um, It is generally not recommended by most medical organizations, at least here in the United States. But if you're going to do it, please look up the safe co-sleeping guidelines um, and, and make sure that you don't have pillows and blankets um, or other risks in the bed um, for when you're doing that. But, you know, I think separate sleep surface is generally what's recommended. And what about the, you know, I know for me it was confusing because as Milo started to get older, he started to like, you know, a little teddy bear or a blanket. What At what age or when developmentally, maybe like physically, should they have like a little pillow or something in their crib with them? Yeah, uh, I I am not a sleep consultant, although there are many on totsquad.com, but I generally think that it is at 12 months um, when you can start to introduce a small pillow um, or stuffed animal, something like that. But I think as long as possible, as long as you can go, 18 months, two years, before you have to start introducing those things, the better. Um, we, you know, introduced a pillow and a blanket probably around 18 months because she was escaping the sleep sack. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, and well, and also, like I said, we had to transition to the toddler bed at 18 months. So at that point, she could just get up and get something out of her bedroom and put it in the bed out of our control. I started having to like hide toys so that, that I didn't want her to bring into bed with her, um, the noise making ones specifically. Um, so, you know, I think the risk of SIDS is um, highest in the very early months um, and goes down up until the age of one. 
but but definitely no real pillows or blankets or loose objects. I mean, another thing to be careful about is grandparents. Um, when my uh, when my stepmom came to stay with us for a little while, she was putting my daughter to sleep on her side um, and then trying to like prop her up with pillows. She was six weeks old. Um, so she would sleep on her side and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, my head is exploding. Um, I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I've raised, you know, three kids. Like we, we, we did this all the time. It's totally fine. It's safe. And then I'm like sneaking back in the bedroom after that to go <laughs> near the crib and put the baby to sleep on her back. Um, so just make sure that you have the safe sleep conversation with any caregivers um, as well, because I think, you know, the best practices and laws have changed a lot since we were yeah. born. Is there any, any products that you would recommend? I'm thinking specifically about monitors because I find it's so hard to find a good monitor. Yes. Um, I actually, I was just interviewed by New York magazine about baby monitors. So I've tried a lot of different ones. Um, I love, we use the Nanit. Um, okay. I also have the Miku they're both super smart monitors that have a way to track breathing. But I think for me, just as like a nerd, I love all the sleep analytics of being able to see like how long did it take her to fall asleep? How many hours did she actually sleep? And then being able to kind of see the trends about nap times and all of those things. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think that was, you know, one product I would definitely recommend splurging on um, or, or, you know, seeing if, if grandma or somebody will buy it off your registry for you um, is a smart monitor. I was not as big of a fan of the like smart sock type of products. I I felt like we were getting a lot more false alarms. And I think there's been, you know, I would say a lot of like NICUs and other places that are saying like these just cause more anxiety for parents than than actual um, life-saving tactics, et cetera. But I definitely recommend a video monitor. Um, You know, the, in terms of the AAP, they recommend the baby stay in your bedroom with you until they're one. And that was driving me crazy because I'm a light sleeper and every grunt and groan, like babies are noisy. Oh yeah. Really, really hard for me to sleep. Um, and I felt like having a smart video monitor allowed me to move the baby out of my room earlier than I otherwise would have because I felt like I had like high def night vision breathing <laughs> technology. You know, I just had more peace of mind. Um, that I could make, you know, and and she was like 20 feet away. It's not like, um, we weren't keeping an eye on her. So I think use your best judgment, um, when it comes to some of those things like that. And, um, I I would definitely invest in video monitors. We we've used audio monitors as well, but I, I don't know. Sometimes my daughter will just like sit in there awake for a long time, not saying anything. (laughs) I don't think we would know what was going on with just, Oh yeah. I love spying. Random question. When do people stop using the video monitor? Because I'm like, am I going to be watching him sleep when he's 13 years old? Like, when do you stop? Oh my gosh. I don't know the answer to that. Like, I'm Um, so curious. (laughs) I don't know either. I mean, as we're having about to have another baby, I was thinking like, okay, I, I was hoping to have two of the same gender so I could like keep my girly nursery decor going and put them in the same room and keep my guest room. So then I'm like, but what am I going to do with the baby monitor? Do I take it off the bigger kid and put it on the new baby? Do I have two monitors in there? I don't know. Um, that is a good question. But but it's so funny because our um, Nanit, you can actually talk two ways through it. So if we see her in there and she's like refusing to lay down and keeps playing or reading books or whatever for nap, my husband gets on the speaker and he says, baby, it's nap time. Um, and the other day she's laying in her bed and she points up at it, <laughs> mounted over her bed and she goes, dada. <laughs> 
oh my gosh, she thinks that my husband is like in that monitor. Or I don't know. I Just who knows what these poor children are thinking about these weird cameras spying on them in their beds. That's but hilarious. yeah, I'm sure at some point they catch on and they're like, can you stop watching me? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. When they can verbally tell us to stop. Yeah. Um, that's probably a good time. <laughs> okay. The last safety category is water. Um, so yeah, bath time, pools in the home, especially. Um tips or things that we should be thinking about favorite products i mean i think that the real like hard thing to remember about water safety is just there is no substitute for vigilance um Mm -hmm. you have to have your eyes on your kids at all times when you're around water um and that means in the bath this was the hardest thing for us to kind of get a hang of in terms of a routine is like, do we have the soap? Do we have the washcloths? Do we have a towel? Do we have a clean diaper? Like, do we have everything we need to be able to do this bath time? Because as soon as we set this baby in this water, we cannot walk away. Um, you know, it really can, I think babies can drown in less than an inch of water. Um, if they don't have control. So you have to be really careful, um, with vigilance and keeping an eye on them. Um, at our house, we installed the pool fence, uh, when our daughter was 18 months old. And I, I felt like that was too late. Uh, again, I recommend doing it when you're pregnant, like just get it done, get it put up. Um, and then I could have a lot more peace of mind that we could play safely in the backyard and in the half that is not where the pool is, um, and not have to have that constant, like stress anxiety level of like, what happens if she accidentally falls in? Um, but I find that the scariest time is when we are socializing at a pool. Right. Uh, It is so easy for me to get caught up, like chatting with my friend while the kids are playing and and feel like I am keeping an eye on my daughter. But then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I just told that whole story and I didn't glance over once, you know, and and two or three minutes could be absolutely disastrous. Um, So I, I think that is the time where a lot of of swim and water safety experts will recommend having a designated watcher. Like it is the person who is not engaging in conversations, who is not drinking alcoholic beverages, who is literally the designated watcher or even investing in hiring a lifeguard. Um, if you are at yeah. pool parties or other events, um, I know we had received a question in advance from somebody who must have a home at a lake, um, or near the ocean where you can't put up a pool fence. <laughs> um, they're like, what do I do? Um, and I think the sad answer is vigilance right? You have to be super cautious when you have small kids that can't swim. Um, my next tip would be door locks. So, um, on our sliding glass door, even at at age two, my daughter has figured out how to unlock it and slide the door open so she can go in and out of the house. And so now we're having to install like a, you know, six foot high lock on the door that is out of her reach. So making sure that you've controlled access to the exits, um, so that they are not running out there to the water when you're, you know, think that you're safe inside the home. And then the last thing would just be um, swim lessons. So uh, there is a program called ISR. I think it's Infant Self Rescue, it stands for. It is, it really, really works well for some kids and some kids absolutely hate it. So I think it's a very polarizing practice. It worked wonders for my daughter. Um, she can get thrown in the water and she'll instantly flip over onto her back and float. So I have so much more peace of mind now that I can have a conversation um, with a friend in the pool, because if she slips and falls in, I know that she'll just flip over and float. 
Um, so if you find that you're in a situation where you don't know that you can have 100% vigilance, um, potentially investing in early swim lessons um, to give you that additional peace of mind is another alternative. Right, definitely. We took Milo for swim lessons right away, like at three months. But then now with COVID, it's so sad because we can't, you know, know. there's no swim lessons. Our swim instructor, we had one outdoor swim lesson. She's wearing like a full, you know, face shield, the whole thing. So it's, you know, figure out what you can. Um, But some swim lessons very much are just like play-based and uh, they're not necessarily trying to teach that skill. So just determine what the needs are for your family and what's going to be a fit for your child. Um, because you know, the ISR program, like there is a lot of crying in the early days before they kind of get the hang of it. So it depends on your tolerance level. For that. <laughs> um, do you have a, a favorite life jacket? Cause I found that to be difficult to find a good life jacket for an infant or a toddler. So I don't know that I necessarily have a favorite, but I have a least favorite, um, which are, Um, and I'm going to blank on what the brand name is, but they're basically like these floaties that have a little vest around them. Um, like the water wings with like the the thing around the chest. Yes. It's like a thing around the chest with kind of the floaties that go around your arms. So those can provide children with like a false sense of security in the water. Um, because they can still flip over and drown wearing one of those. Like they'll be at the surface of the water but it's possible that they can be stuck face down. Um, And so if you have your kid kind of swimming with less supervision because you're using that as your peace of mind, I think that's a false sense of security. There's some really scary stories out there about parents that lost kids um, because they kind of thought that they were safe wearing those. Um, I mean, absolutely, if you are on a boat, if you are doing something where, you know, you're at risk, Having that that life vest on is an added layer of security, but it's just not a replacement for vigilance or or a child who knows how to swim. All right. Um, so to end, I thought you could share with us your top three resources for parents. So it can be a book, a podcast, a social media account, a website, um, whatever you would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I know you have a lot of listeners in Canada and I don't know the Canadian resources as well, but... Um, I definitely recommend um, the AAP here in the United States, the American Academy of Pediatricians. It's aap.org. And that is where you can get unbiased, you know, scientifically backed information um, for any of these concerns you have about car seats, about safe sleep, et cetera, et cetera, choking hazards, any of those types of things um, you can find through the AAP. For car seats specifically, um, I recommend NHTSA, which is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, nhtsa.org. They have a ton of great videos and resources um, around products. And then lastly, I would, of course, recommend TotSquad. Um, mm-hmm. You can go to TotSquad.com to get connected with an expert to answer your one-on-one questions for those days when you're tired of, of you know, Googling something and finding results on the internet from 2009. Um, from just, you know, average people. And you really feel like you need to talk to somebody with a higher level of expertise. Um, you know, I think we see a lot of families that are, are trying to experiment with baby led weaning. Um, and, you know, it terrifies some families because of the choking hazards and other families are really successful with it. And uh, being able to connect with a registered dietitian or nutritionist who can help you determine if that's a good method of introducing foods for your child um, can really give people peace of mind for things like that. Awesome. So lastly, where can people find you, find Tot Squad? Um, so website, social media? 
Yeah, it's all at Tot Squad, T-O-T-S-Q-U-A-D. Um, so at Tot Squad on Instagram, Facebook, the rest, um, and TotSquad.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. This is going to be a popular episode because, well, mom anxiety, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I have no mom shame, yeah. but feel free to reach out if people have questions. Yes, totally. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>